You're entering the Side Mission Podcast. Three friends that love gaming and love experiencing original content and old school classics give their thoughts on the latest releases and newest topics in the gaming industry. Power up and let's get started. Welcome in everyone to the newest episode of Side Mission. I said that really fast, but you know what? We're just going to roll with it. I'm Rusty Ellis, captain of the ship as always. Joined by the boys, Kyle Lynch, Matt Beck, and today we're spilling some unpopular gaming industry opinions. This is going to be a fun one. So we're going to give a couple of our hottest takes from anything related in the gaming industry. It can be about uh, practices done by the devil, a.k.a. EA and Activision. It can be games that you think are not good that everyone loves it can be anything we've each got a couple that we're going to reel off matt i know you've got a good one in store at least you've said you've got a good one so get us started get, give me and kyle your worst oh oh i i got a good one and when i say what it is y'all are gonna know y'all gonna know what my opinion is are you ready for this because i'm fixing to spill this tea right now okay okay let's hear it um my unpopular opinion, and I noticed this because this has been a, a trend along a lot of games uh, lately, especially with here within the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One gens, the increase in all of these games feeling this sort of need to be open world. Like, don't get me wrong. Wait a minute. There's a reason why they are. <laughs> there, there's a reason why they're some of the best games um, out there, high, but you know, best reviewed games out there because in, in a lot of ways that they are very well done. Um, you have different types of open worlds like Breath of the Wild. I consider that more of a open world uh, sandbox game because there's just just giant playing field that you can manipulate um, the field itself. You can set it on fire. It's just a lot of fun to have. But then you have something that's a little bit more realistic, like with uh, Red Dead Redemption 2, which I classify that as an open world uh, sim, which is a very lively world. You know, there's always something going on. Uh, you know, NPCs everywhere, towns everywhere. It's a lot of it's a lot of fun, but I'm starting to get a little tired of it. I'm starting to get really tired of these giant open worlds that, when they're not fully realized, and they're just kind of shoehorned into there because this is what's popular. And like they, you know, they're shoving a bunch of different chests, uh, different items around, and just it's it's not necessary. Like for instance, in Assassin's Creed Valhalla. They just want to shove a chest that contains nothing but a couple of materials, like crafting, uh, crafting materials, in a house where you have to collect like three chests that are scattered uh, throughout the, the the region. And I just like it's, it's it's like stuff like that that there's not a lot of thought put into it. But um, I still very much enjoy a simple game, just a you know even if it's kind of a linear game. Um, and it's, it's not necessarily that, you know, I don't think that uh, open world games need to be stopped being made. And absolutely, they don't. But, uh, uh, you know, t you notice a trend like I'm hearing information about the you know, potential next Bioshock being open world. We're hearing about Halo Infinite being open world. And I'm like, well, what's next going to be open world? Begin a Kirby game open world. Can I get that? <laughs> so that is going to be my number one most controversial opinion so bring me your opinions uh, well no i can the first thing i want to know yeah. is what game made you feel this way like what was the game that you were like okay why is this open world what, what game was that oh yeah oh uh, that one uh yeah that's going to be assassin's creed by hall no i'm just kidding okay you said it was no, what game um, <laughs> no honestly it's not a specific game that has made me feel this way. It is just the influx of games coming out that I'm really looking forward to, but it, you know, I know what to expect. Um, we're getting an open world and it's like, I know that GTA is what really popularized it. And, you know, Rockstar to this day is still one of the best ones at creating them. And when Nintendo dipped their, you know, their toes into the open world, Lake river, whatever, you know, they did a fantastic job with her first time around and makes me super excited for the sequel. But then I'm like, I'm thinking of the sequel for Breath of the Wild and I'm like, well, it's going to be open world, but is this going to be a rehash of Hyrule from Breath of the Wild? Or are we going to get something new? And it just brings me back to that. Like the, I want them to keep it fresh. I don't want it to feel copy and paste. And that's just kind of my stance on that. You know, I, I kind of feel that. Because I, th I know that, like, for, I think one example, and this is what I've heard said a lot, is um, when you look at, like, Spider-Man PS4, for example, I know, get ready, I'm about to say something negative about that, I, but uh, 
a one, a one, one person once said that, um, you know, when you think about it, what really does Spider-Man PS4 gain from being open world? It doesn't really gain much at all. It, it's not changed or improved by being open world. So I don't know what Kyle has to say about that, but I mean, I kind of, I can kind of understand that opinion. Yeah, I would say like I definitely understand the frustration with like Valhalla and even with uh, Spider-Man PS4 being open world. I feel like a lot of a lot of games. I feel like if if you're gonna make it open world, I don't necessarily have a problem with that. My problem comes in where it's just cluttered with a bunch of crap, like you were saying, how there's a chest that you got to find three other chests to get in. Like, that sounds annoying to me. To do all of that just to get this chest that has some garbage loot in it, it's just wasting 45 minutes of me running all throughout this world for literally nothing. But I don't know. I don't, I don't dislike the influx of open world games. I enjoy open world games a lot. Yeah. I just I don't like when they're cluttered. I hate that. I hate that so much. Well, I think especially as someone who has ADHD, like I think me and you do. I mean, that's Ooh, yeah. you're sitting there going like, "Oh my gosh, I feel like I have to do everything," or I feel like if I miss anything, then I'm just I'm not beating the game fully. So, I mean, I I I can understand that. I think I think that like ultimately, I love open world games, and maybe that's just because a lot of games I play are open world. But I can also understand that every now and then it's good to have a game like, say, Doom Eternal from last year, where it's not really open world. You're on you're on rails, and it works just as well as an open world game does. So I, I, I get that opinion. So Kyle, I'll throw it over to you before I give my first one. What do you got for us? So my hottest take when it comes to gaming is that platformers do not need to have smooth movement controls to be a good game. Ooh. My reference for this Ooh. is Super Mario Sunshine, and I already know that Matt <laughs> is internally screaming. Yes! <laughs> but, like, so for me personally, I think that when a game like, you know, Mario Sunshine is pretty infamous for having bad movement controls. I played that game on the GameCube. I was like seven years old. I beat that game 100%. I got every star. I got all the hidden star or shine sprites. I got all of the hidden shine sprites. I got, you know, the 100 coins in every single level. I did everything in that game as a seven-year-old. So bad movement controls, I feel like, has become a cop-out among platformers because we grew up on games like Crash Bandicoot yeah. where, you know – Nowadays, in Crash 4, you've got the, you know, the modern play style where you can see where you're landing. Growing up, dude, you didn't have that on the PS1. You jumped, and you know, you've got the little the, the crappy polygons. You're straining your eyes just to see where you're trying to land because there's so much happening on the screen. <laughs> you know, it, it wasn't necessarily bad movement control, but compared to the games we have now, I feel like platformers have become so, I don't want to say easy, but I feel like they're not hard enough. Maybe a little bit like more casual. Is that what it is? Yes. Like like Crash 4, I think, did it perfectly because it was easy at parts and it was very, very difficult at parts. But I enjoyed the difficulty because I haven't had a game make me – I haven't had a game test me in platforming like Crash 4 in a long time because they're just – they're so easy now. And, you know, I, I – I I miss the challenge. I miss that, you know, oh, well, you know, the like the movement in Tie the Tasmanian Tiger, for example, it's not great at all. However, it's just an added challenge on top of the game because it's impressive that you can beat a game with bad movement controls when it's already not an easy game to beat. You know, it, I don't know. I, I don't know how y'all feel about it. I, well, I'm pretty sure I know how Matt feels about it. Yeah, I was going to say... <laughs> I kind of want to know how Matt feels because I know that you guys are the main two platformers. I've played them, you know, here and there, but I kind of want to know how Matt feels. Okay. Okay. No, yeah, yeah. You know, you're fixing to get it. So for, for number one, I'm going to start with this, Kyle. I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this right now. You're probably the number one supporter of Joy-Con grip. I said it. I don't regret it. Okay. What? You want to talk about you don't need to make controls on the platformer? My dude. My dude. <laughs> when it comes to platformers, you have to have tight controls because let's just say, you know, that you're on a on like with Mario. You want to talk about Mario Sunshine. Okay, you're right. I totally love it when I'm walking and I stop, but I'm sliding. 
Why am I sliding? I think when I stopped, you know, pushing the analog stick up, I should stop moving myself because I'm going to fall off this little tiny little platform. Maybe it's invisible. Maybe I can't see it. Maybe I don't know where it ends, where it begins. But another thing that I would like to say is you kind of went from talking about tight controls to difficulty. What? And anyway, <laughs> but I will argue that, dude. Like, I'm sorry. The moment that I feel like a game is unfair because it's not anything that I'm doing, but it's something that the game is doing itself because, you know, again, platformers are very precise. You have to be very, uh, you know, based off of the difficulty of it, um, they can be very unfair if, you know, you feel like your character isn't responding to you and that's not your fault as the gamer. That is the game's fault. And that's where I stand on that with you, bro. Okay, so before before we go any further with that, like I, I want to say that I, I and I'm not trying to be the the fence sitter here, but it's kind of what I sound like through you know two unpopular opinions so far. Uh, I, I I I I hate to say it, but I think I actually understand where Kyle's coming from on this, though. I think I actually get it because I look at Crash Four, and he's 100 percent right that that's a game that balanced the smooth movement with difficulty. But the thing is in platformers nowadays, that's normally not the case. Insane trilogy for crash bandicoot is miles easier because of smooth movement miles easier. It's so much easier because of the smooth movement. And as Kyle said, we played these games as kids. We beat them as kids. I don't think there's much of an excuse. I think that, I think that we, a lot of times gamers tend to make excuses for why they die over and over. And I think sometimes it could just legitimately be as simple as you're just not, it's just not your day. Take a break from it. Come back tomorrow. It could simply be, well, maybe this game isn't for you. It could simply be that. Um, I, I very rarely, unless it is a glitch that is slowing down a frame rate and is causing me to die. I'm very rarely going to blame the game for me dying over and over at a spot. So that's actually a perfect segue into my unpopular opinion. Um, I think difficulty settings are trash. I think they're garbage and they're not needed. I think that we have evolved as a gaming industry and as a gaming community, we do not need difficulty settings on games anymore. I don't care if it's Call of Duty. I don't care if it's Animal Crossing. I don't care if it's if it's my, if it's you know My Little Pony 3.0. I don't I don't care what game it is. And it's not just because I am a Souls gamer and I've, you know, I love Dark Souls 3, I love Bloodborne, I love Sekiro. It's not just because of that. It's because I feel like that takes away from creating difficult creating different difficulties and creating different settings and different systems for said difficulties takes away from potential improvements on a game in other areas. Look at a game like Sekiro. Everybody said that game needed a difficulty setting. No, it doesn't. It doesn't need a difficulty setting because it teaches you the game. If you don't have the patience to sit there and learn it, that's not on the game. That's on you. And I think that the game is magnificent because they used that time where they could have put a difficulty setting in. They used that time and those resources to create an environment that told a story, to create a game that told a story better than, I think, just about any Souls game not named Bloodborne. So... There you go. Take that as you may. I think difficulty settings are garbage. Okay, first of all. <laughs> he said, okay, first of all. Actually, no, no. Uh, Rusty, I do agree with you that I definitely think that there are specific games that I don't feel like they need difficulty settings. Like, absolutely anything that from software releases, I don't feel like needs a difficulty setting. But at the same time, I'm very appreciative when I'm given the option to play, uh, you know, how I want to play. Because, you know, so there are some games that people want to play, but they're not as skilled as, you know, a lot of us veteran gamers are. Uh, I know it's one thing. And it's not a very common thing that I've seen, but there are options. And when you select your difficulty, it's basically called story difficulty. And it's for the people who just want to experience the story, which I think that's fantastic. And it opens up, you know, a new audience for people who want to play these games, but they don't want to get their butts kicked. You know what I mean? Well, no, I but get that. I get that. I definitely he, don't. Yeah. Here, here's my rebuttal to that, though. Here's my rebuttal. And then I'll, I'll let you finish as soon as I give this, because I didn't give this part when I was talking at first. Okay. My thing okay. is, I prefer, when it comes to difficulty, I prefer doing what most Mario games do. Most Mario games are not hard, but there are certainly hard moments. I prefer that you build the difficulty up, that it's a dynamic difficulty, that yes. the first levels are easy, 
and that it gets harder as you go. Like, I'm playing through Horizon Zero Dawn right now. I know. Kill me later for that. But uh, <laughs> I'm finally playing that. But I, I like that early on in the game, you feel like you're learning and you're getting better. And then it, it comes a point where it's, okay, now let's put these skills together and let's improve. Let's become more precise. Let's become better with our movements. Instead of just saying, okay, I want to play on easy. Okay, I want to play on normal. The fact of the matter is, I'm pretty sure there are studies out there that prove also that the difficulty that gets selected more times than not is just normal. Just normal difficulty. Medium difficulty. That's literally what people select. So my thing is, instead of that, why not make a game that teaches you the game and then as you go it gets harder? I'm not saying like it spikes rapidly. I'm saying just get gradually harder and gradually tougher so that you're forced to learn new skills and apply those new skills. Matt, you may continue. That was my bad for cutting you off. Oh, no, you're good. I actually, I'm absolutely happy that you finished off with that and you bring up a good point because in a lot of, you know, Nintendo's games, I do notice there actually is not a difficulty setting. You just kind of, you know, start the game and it starts off easy and you start learning the mood pool that the characters are able to use. And then it puts you to the test much later on. Like, I don't know if anyone here has ever actually played what is called champions road in Mm -hmm. a Mario game, but it literally takes everything that you did like throughout the story, uh, learning new, you know, power ups and wall jumping backflips, long jumps, things like that. And it puts you to the test. And I think that that's probably the best way to approach it is increase difficulty as you advance further, which is also seen in previous, like much older Pokemon games, because, you know, you don't want to get to the Elite Four and then just like flush them out like you did, you know, Trainer Joey on Route One, you know, you want (laughs) to actually be like, I trained my Pokemon. Uh, We know we grinded, uh, leveled them up, gave them the the right move sets. And I want to put that to the test. And it's like, if you don't, then you switch it around. And I think that it's a, you know, learn by the numbers type of stuff. Fair enough. I I get that. Kyle, what do you think? I I would have to say, I agree actually Um, for a little bit of a different reason. I think that if the game doesn't have a difficulty setting, it definitely, you know, of course, if it is built well, I feel like you're going to get more out of what, um, you know what the what the director, what the creator, what the publisher, what whoever you know, everybody who worked on this game, they built it for you to play a specific way. Like if you play a Call of Duty campaign and you just play on easy and you go through and you're just wiping everybody out and all you do is you basically just watching the cutscenes because the enemies just stand there and they don't move, you're not gonna get as much out of it, you know, versus if they had you go on a specific difficulty like you guys were saying where it's easy in the beginning and it gradually gets harder and it makes you get good at the game you're gonna get more of that interpretation you're gonna see more of the way that they want you to see this game they want you to play this game versus you know like i'm not saying that it's bad to have your own play style or your own way to go about the game but i think that from the creative side it would be a smarter move to have a game like Bloodborne, for example, where they don't have a difficulty setting and you're playing that game the way that everybody who worked on that game wants you to play it, it's just it, it definitely feels it feels so much more rewarding. It feels like you are actually learning the game. You're actually getting good at the game so that by the time you beat this game, you look at, you know, the the first few levels and you're like, wow, I came from that and you know Look at this crazy final boss that I beat. Or look at these last levels that, you know, I beat. I I would have to agree that I think that a lot of games don't need a difficulty setting, and that people who make these games should learn how to, you know, kind of work the difficulty in there without giving everybody just an easy option. Exactly. I think my whole thing is I want that 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 dynamic kind of difficulty. That's kind of what I prefer in games and. Um, it's interesting. I think I don't know what game I looked at. I was playing a few days ago, but I think dynamic difficulty was actually an option, where it was like, "Hey, the challenge just gets gradually tougher." And I was like, "Hmm, that's interesting. I like that." I, I think that that's an interesting inclusion. So that's just where I stand on that, though. So Matt, what else you got for us? Uh, so my second one. Uh, this is a good, this is a good one actually, and I definitely don't think there'll be any argument here. Uh, is you cannot call someone 
you know, you can't say that someone's not a gamer because they don't play the same games as you. Uh, you'll notice this a lot online uh, for people who, you know, maybe enjoy a little bit something more on the casual side. Like, you know, they maybe they enjoy Animal Crossing more than they enjoy something like Call of Duty. Maybe they enjoy more of a, you know, a simple pick up and play like Mario Party than they do playing Mortal Kombat. And like, I, I see people get made fun of all the time and called they're not gamers. And even for people who, you know, pick up their cell phone, download a game off of their Play Store or their, their iPhone shop, you know, they're gamers. We are all gamers, no matter what it is we play. We are still playing on the same systems. You know, we're still playing um, online together, even if it's, you know, people playing Fortnite over people playing what the next Battlefield game. And I'm tired of the stigma that comes along with people who, you know, maybe they don't enjoy playing the more harder games like, you know, Doom and uh, Bioshock over someone who wants to play something like, you know, Kirby or, you know, Spyro. And, you know, it's just something that, you know, this this is a great community. Gamers, you know, we have we have it so good. Like things are, you know, getting on on track. You know, we got new consoles, you know, we got amazing, you know, way the game's coming out every couple of months. And it's just never been a better time to be a gamer. And I don't want anyone to feel excluded by that just from the games they play. Yeah, I don't think you're gonna get much disagreement from me on that one. I think that's I think that's pretty true. I think I think that it's crazy, and I think that this is a topic for another day as well. Um, how we claim as gamers to be such an inclusive community, and and we claim to be such an inclusive group of people, but yet it's so toxic. And I know Kyle, I know you can agree with that because we've gamed on, on PC, and you've gamed more on PC than I have. But it's just it's toxic for some reason, man. And we we're all enjoying the same hobby. I don't really get why there's the toxicity that there is, but I'll let Kyle give his thoughts now. Yeah, I definitely think that you know you you have a you have a really great point that we're all playing games. You know, whether you like it or not, it's you know somebody playing a game is a gamer almost by definition. You know, there, there's not really an argument for calling somebody not a gamer, other than you just want to be a jerk. Like, really, that's it. it that is definitely a that's definitely a, a, a topic for another day. Is how toxic the gaming community is, and I I definitely definitely want to see more. You know the inclusivity. I want to see more of. You know, oh, you don't play the same games as me. That's okay. Maybe we can share opinions about you know why we like this game over this game, or maybe we can talk about you know why why this game is fun versus this game. You know, I feel like it's it shouldn't be. A, oh well, you don't you don't hardcore game for thirty hours. A, you know, a, a a week, you know, a hardcore game, you know, every weekend, you're not playing, you know, the brand new Call of Duty every year it comes out. You're not a real gamer, man. Or, you know, if you don't know every enemy and every boss in this game, you can't beat every single level with your, you know, one hand tied behind your back. You're not a real gamer. <laughs> I feel like you just, everybody wants you to prove yourself in, in the gaming community. You have to prove yourself. You have to prove you're a gamer. You have to beat, you know, 20 games to tell me you're a gamer. Like, you know... If you play one game, you beat one game, you're a gamer. It's as simple as that. You just play a game, you don't even have to beat it. If you're playing a game and you enjoy it, you're a gamer. That's all it is to it. Yeah, I agree. So, Kyle, what else do you have for us then? Because you, you got Matt going on big time on that first one. So now I'm fully expecting oh, you to man. say something that's just going to throw me off the wall in this next one. So I... When it comes to RPGs... I don't like creating multiple characters at all in any RPG ever. <laughs> I have created one character. I do every side quest that I possibly can. I beat the game. That's it. That's all I do. I don't like creating multiple characters and having to maintain multiple, you know, uh, storylines, multiple, you know, choices to me. I feel like it's, you know, it's just so overwhelming and that's just that's just me. Because I know it's very, very popular among games like Elder Scrolls or like Fallout to make, you know, five or six different characters and do all these different options. But like, for me, that's just so much like I spent I spent, you know, 40, 50 hours going through a playthrough on one character in one game. I don't understand how people have like six different characters and, you know, over three months worth of playtime in Skyrim. 
it it just I don't know. It's it's aggravating to me when like a game is like, hey, if you have fifty different characters to choose from, and each one has their own storyline, or each one has their own, uh, you know, choices to go down, or their own clan to be in, or their own side missions. I just want one character. I want one playthrough. I want one storyline. That's it. That's all I want. Done. Don't give me anything else. It's too much. It's too much. So I'm not sure if I'm correct here, but I'm sensing some Skyrim hostility. Very much. I I, I don't know. If maybe, maybe maybe I'm correct there, but I'm sensing some Skyrim hostility. It's almost like you don't like that game. Oh no! No. It's almost like you don't like Whoa. that game, and I can't figure that out. Skyrim was probably. Uh, the worst Elder Scrolls games. In the <laughs> oh my goodness! Oblivion. That's you know what? <laughs> we'll just go ahead and throw that in there too. Even wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> See what Kyle's trying. What Kyle's trying to say is that you know uh, Elder Scrolls uh, Blades on mobile is the best Elder Scrolls game. Man, for ever. real. He just he just threw Oblivion in the trash. Come on, man. No, 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 no. Oblivion is the best Elder Scrolls game. Okay, you okay, I'm glad you specified there because I was about to yeah. jump down your throat. Now Skyrim, Skyrim I can I can understand Skyrim. not loving Skyrim despite the fact that Bethesda has clearly poured their heart and soul into it by porting it to every console imaginable, not named the Soldier Boy console. But <laughs> I'll let Matt take this one from here. Well, uh, you do you do make a good point, which is uh, something that you know I am surprised by it too. I know you probably got a shocked face on you know expression going on right now, but yeah, no. So one thing I'll say about this when it comes to RPGs is you know RPG standing for you know role playing game. Say it with me slowly, Kyle. Um, <laughs> you know, you there are there are you know many different types of RPGs. You know, you have you, your base main character, but you're always given you know always adding new characters to you know your group and leveling them up and all of that. And I know that it can be very uh, tedious and it's 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 a grind. You know, it's from someone who played who who plays you know Xenoblade, you're you're giving a lot of characters and you can actually switch between the main character to one of the others. And focus on them. You know, they have they have to have a, a a relationship system in there as well, where you build bonds and based off of who's in your party with stronger bonds, you do more damage, you do more specials, things like that. And for me, when uh, RPGs kind of branch off into doing something like that, it can be very, very confusing and intimidating to me personally. I say intimidating because it's like man, I really want to be good at this game and I really want to get, you know, far into it and beat it. But, you know, you're asking a lot out of me for it. But then you have something like, you know, Final Fantasy VII, the uh, remake that came out last year, where, you know, you have the option to play Cloud, but you can also switch through the others as well. But I'm sure the majority of us play Cloud anyway. Sorry, um, sorry, uh, Tifa, you know. you might Hey, bro, you better chill. <laughs> um... But the way you're going on with Skyrim is are you, you're talking about creating, you know, when you have different classes, uh, you know, people will, you know, play it multiple times. Like I know somebody who's probably played through Skyrim maybe 100 or so times, you know, every time that they play, they choose a different class and they, uh, you know, upgrade because I've seen I've seen the skill trees in Skyrim and needless to say. I, you know, I filled out the skill tree in Valhalla, so I'm I'm not a stranger to a, uh, you know, over 400 different things here in uh, one character. But I definitely do see where you're coming from. And I think that when it comes to RPGs, you know, we're given a lot of different selections here. Uh, I mostly play JRPGs compared to Western RPGs, where, you know, Bethesda has Fallout and all of that, as you've mentioned. Whereas I play stuff like Final Fantasy, Pokemon, Xenoblade... Uh, the Tales of series, and like they are all very different. Um, but with JRPGs, they do kind of advance it up a lot with like different skill trees and different relationships, which I can't even manage one of those in real life. So what makes you think I can do that in a video game? <laughs> I feel that. I feel that one right there. Okay, so Matt's gotten triggered. I've somewhat gotten triggered. I think, Kyle, it's probably your turn. So, here's the thing. Here's the deal. I'm just going to get out and say it. PlayStation Plus is miles better than Xbox Game Pass. Uh, I said it. 
I said it. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna be real with y'all. It is better than Xbox Game Pass. And here is why. Because I'm sorry that for me personally, and I know I'm coming off very, very combative right now, so I will I will relax. I will chill. I will breathe in and out. But here's the thing with Xbox Game Pass that I just I can't really get behind. Xbox Game Pass has, you know, recently with Outriders gotten on the train of we're going to release, you know, a AAA title. We'll, 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 we'll release a new title on Game Pass so you can go to try. They did it with MLB The Show as well, even though I think the show plays horrifically on Xbox. Makes no sense why it's on there. But anyways, meanwhile, on PlayStation Plus, they're putting new games out, and they've put new games out on there for the past two, three months now. Whether it be Destruction All-Stars, Oddworld, which... I mean, I'm glad it was on there because I learned that that difficulty was too much for me to handle and I couldn't beat it. Um, but I just, I think that the quality of games you get from PS Plus is better than Game Pass. I think Game Pass is more for those who want to play older 360 games, uh, older Xbox One games that didn't get a chance to play them when you know they first came out. And I think they give you an option there. And I think Game Pass is fine. Not saying it's bad. Personally, for me, and I know that's a very unpopular opinion in the gaming space right now, I think PlayStation Plus is just better than Xbox Game Pass. So, do your worst, Kyle. I definitely have to agree that they they recently have been putting out much better games than Game Pass because comparing Destruction All-Stars and then the following month with Oddworld, those two games alone, I I enjoyed. I think they were they were quality games. They were, you know, beautifully built, even though, you know, Matt and you didn't necessarily like Oddworld as much. I I loved Oddworld, and I didn't really enjoy Outriders, and I, I mean, that's the last game that I downloaded on Game Pass. Before that, I can't remember the last thing that I downloaded. I mean, the last new game that came out. I think it was Gears of War 5, and I didn't even play it. I downloaded it day one. Dang. I, never, I, I never played it because, I mean, I just, I, I don't know. I wasn't really that interested in Gears 5. I liked the original trilogy, but this new, you know, 4 and 5 haven't really interested me that much. But I do, I am one of those people who enjoys going back and playing the 360 games because I grew up with the 360. Man, this dude. <laughs> me... <laughs> Uh, so me and a, and a buddy of mine love to go back and play a lot of the old 360 co-op games because there there are there are a lot of multiplayer games on the 360 that I just necessarily didn't have a lot of friends with Xboxes when I got a 360. You know that 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 I could play these games with, and so now it's kind of fun to go back and play these games with them. Aside from the backwards compatibility, the older games, I think that you have a great point that in terms of new games coming to these subscription services, I would pick PlayStation Plus over Game Pass because I think that with Game Pass, everything on there is – that's what you're getting. The next game that's coming to Game Pass is Halo Infinite. When that comes out and nobody even knows if that's going to be good, and if it's not good – I think that's the uh, unless Xbox has some n- new AAA that they're hiding for the rest of the year. That's two games that came out on Game Pass that were supposed to be big releases and weren't good for an entire year. You paid for that subscription services or for that subscription service for two games that weren't good. I that de- I, I have to agree. I hate that so much that I have to agree. <laughs> That they, like, PlayStation just has been putting out more quality. I'm an Xbox fan. I grew up an Xbox fanboy. I, I, had, I had an original Xbox. I had a 360. I had an Xbox One. I got the Series S. I, as an Xbox fanboy, have never felt more betrayed by Game Pass because when Game Pass started, it was awesome. There was so much on there. And as it gradually went on, it feels like it's just been put on the back burner, and they're like, hey, let's release one or two games a year and just keep bringing old games to Game Pass that people have already played. Dude, I hate that so much, but PlayStation does have, they They have to take it, dude. They, oh, dude, I hate that. <laughs> so, Matt, what do you think, then? Man, um, 
Surprisingly, you know, this is coming from the guy who hasn't really been gaming with Xbox since even the 360 days. I'm going to have to disagree with you guys just mainly for the fact that, so for, for one, you're talking about PlayStation Plus, but PlayStation Plus's main competitor is actually Games with Gold. And I'll say PlayStation Plus is way better than Games with Gold, but Game Pass is its own separate little, you know, it's its own separate thing here. And being able to have day one uh, Xbox One games coming out on upon release, which we haven't seen that yet because, you know, Microsoft still... Is keeping things on the on the uh, on the back end right now with you know we don't know what they're all these new development studios they bought are doing but just knowing that whatever is going to come out from them is going to be on Game Pass day one save me sixty bucks you know for the next Halo the next Gears the next Fable whatever you know they got coming that's what that's why I love Game Pass so much on top of the fact that. I, being someone who didn't get to play much of the 360 or original Xbox games, I mean, I don't really touch those, I'll be honest, but, you know, getting getting the opportunity to play Fable, getting the opportunity to play, you know, uh, these, these other games that I never got to play is a really, you know, great service to me. And y'all making Phil Spencer cry over here, you know, he's trying his best. <laughs> okay, but I have something so, to say to that. I have something to say to that. So, okay, okay, what's up, bud? You said that... PlayStation Plus is more comparable to games with gold than it is Game Pass. Yes. So what's the PlayStation Plus collection then? The PlayStation Plus collection, bro, I was actually meaning more so like, okay, PlayStation has another service, you know, PlayStation Now, and more so often I see that getting compared to Game Pass because PlayStation Now gets different, uh, you know, more, you know, recent games compared to... But PlayStation uh, Now is streaming games. That's that's the that's a, There's a big difference in that in Game Pass. That in Game Pass, PlayStation Now, you're streaming games. You're not downloading yeah, on, on them. PlayStation 3. PlayStation 3, PlayStation 3 and older games, you are streaming. PlayStation 4 games are actually downloaded to your system. I, I, I learned that. Um, but Game Pass... Again, I, I like the value. I mean, $15 a month for it. And on top of that, it also goes with my gold subscription as well. All together in one, you know, one payment is a great uh, service to me personally. I'm arguing with you guys that I think that y'all are wrong that it's not good. It's just, or, you know, comparable to PlayStation Plus. I just like the fact that, uh, you know, I can play the, I can play these games. And on top of that, you're constantly seeing new partners with Game Pass, like EA join them. Uh, I'm hearing, you know, stuff about Ubisoft's uh, joining them. So they'll be uploading their games, how EA has been as well. And I'm sure that they'll have more partners in the future. Well, we're going off of, we're going off of hypotheticals there, though. Things that could ultimately flame out. Things that could ultimately end up not happening. Like, that's... That's what I'm getting at here is that PlayStation Plus and PlayStation, whatever whatever it is you want to compare to Game Pass, there's guarantees with PlayStation. There's guarantees that you of what you already have. There's again, this is a conversation like most of these. That is, there's another yeah. day for a deeper conversation because we got to move on eventually. But I think that what you're getting in PlayStation Plus, whether it's the collection, PS Now, or just PlayStation Plus in general, when you have your three games a month. I think that the fact of the matter is what you're getting product-wise from any of those is miles better than what you're getting from anything in Game Pass. Because Game Pass... What, Kyle, what, what did you say the best Game Pass game that was available from, or the last one you did, Gears of War 5? I think that's what a lot of people would say is one of the best Game Pass games. And I've... As me personally, I've seen... I've had no interest in playing it. So... And I know a lot of other people that have no interest in playing it just because it's on Game Pass. Now, someone that gets a PS5 or chose to switch to PS5 from, you know, being an Xbox person, I know plenty of people, and by plenty I mean about five because PlayStation 5s are still hard to find for some reason, uh, I know plenty of people that have switched and have said, wow, I have all this access to all these great older PS5 games, or PS4 games, all just by getting a PS5 and by having, and by having you know, the PSN. Like, that's literally all you need. So the, the, we'll we'll move on because we got we have to. We're this is already a longer episode than normal, but uh, yeah, I, I just I don't I, I see why people like Game Pass. I think Game Pass is a good service. I think it's incredibly overrated. That's probably the best way to say it. Um, we'll go one more time around the horn here, Matt. Uh, finish us off for your unpopular opinions. What you got? All right. So for my last popular unpopular opinion, I'm gonna say popular. Um, 
Man, so this one's probably actually I'm, gonna, I'm probably gonna be entirely wrong in thinking that this might be popular, but let's find out. So you have you have loot box systems, right? But I'm thinking something a little outside of the loot box here. Okay, I'm talking about physical locked DLC. And as someone who has cut to maybe over 100 amiibos, I have the problem. I support the problem. When you're locking DLC, when you're locking armor, when you're locking difficulties or different game modes behind a little figurine, that's hard to find. And if you don't get it upon first release and you have to find it online somewhere and you're spending like well past retail price for it, I think that's awful. And I think it's a practice that needs to end. I don't necessarily think that the figures need to stop being made, but if that's what they need to do, then so be it. I have more than enough. I can, I can, you know, reenact smash brothers with <laughs> everything that I have without any problems. But and that's why I also said that I don't know if this is exactly unpopular, but I see that the love for these little figurines get, and I mean, we saw it in the past with Skylanders and even Lego did it and Disney infinity did it. And we saw what happened to those. They're over They're They're, they're done. Do it. Nintendo yeah. just released a cat Mario and, and a cat peach not long ago. Do I have it? Yes, I have it because who couldn't have those. Right. <laughs> and and the, the monster hunter game just came out. They had three of them. I have all three. And another Monster Hunter Stories game coming out. There's more. I'm getting all of those, too. I'm supporting the problem, but I hate it. It's like a love-hate thing, you know. And I just love to collect the figures just knowing that, you know, there's not going to be something on a video, like on one of the, like Nintendo's games that's going to be locked behind it. You know, I feel like back in the day, you know, we, we unlocked, you know, costumes. We unlocked different game modes, you know, through, you know, just playing the game. Instead of having to go out and buy this sixteen dollars, you know, toy to to do it, so that's where I stand when it comes to these this this you know hobby of mine. And gosh, I really need to stop, but I'm addicted. I think you hit the nail on the head with. I think it's okay to have the figures, but do you need to stop like gating off essentially difficulty modes or? And I think I think you can say that about just anything that is um DLC. You know, I think in Kyle as a Mortal Kombat fan, I think you'll agree with this as well. You remember back when uh, Mortal Kombat uh, X or Mortal Kombat Ten, whatever it is that is called, I don't know who calls it what at this point, but when that um when that game was uh, you know was put out for pre order, uh, Goro was the pre order, right? Yeah. But when you put the game in, if you didn't pre order it, Goro was locked behind a paywall. Like that's a problem. Goro's on the disc. Why do I have to pay for him? What? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that, like, when it... I don't think that there should be physical locked DLC, but I think that it would be, like... For example, in Breath of the Wild, you can only get the Deity Link armor through an amiibo. I think mm. it's cool because not everybody in the game can get that, and it makes it special mm. because I know that because I have the Deity armor... Not everybody, not, I, I would say not even half the people who have played Breath of the Wild have the deity armor because the amiibos are not easy to find, especially now. It makes it feel, you know, it, it, it's not fair, but it, it's, it, it makes it special. It's like, you know, I have this, it's cool that I have this, it kind of gives you a little bit of bragging rights that you have it because... You know that you know. Not it doesn't matter how good or bad you are at the game. Not everybody can get this item. Yeah, I think I'm with you on that. And that it's not about you know cosmetics. Cosmetics, I don't have a problem with. Um, it's it's holding back actual full in-game content. Whether it's like like Matt said, um, a difficulty setting or uh, a character like Goro on MKX. I, I think that I think that there's a balance. And the problem is, and, you know, Matt kind of alluded to it, the problem is is that because people think, people will hear this and go, well, that doesn't sound very unpopular. I'm sure plenty of gamers feel that way. Well, yeah, plenty of them yeah. do. But there's also definitely a crowd out there that believes that, you know, oh, gating this kind of stuff off, it's okay because it's limited. It makes it more desirable. And right. I think that that's a dangerous mindset. I think that's a dangerous, dangerous mindset. Um, so I think, Matt, I think you're onto something there. I definitely think there's a balance that needs to be struck because I don't have a problem with cosmetics being locked off behind, behind amiibos or behind figures. Um, it's when you actually start cutting content that I think there's an issue. So, like, for, 
a big example that I can point out is uh, with the Switch release of uh, Link's Awakening, there's a, you know, a, a Link Amiibo that is with yeah. that game. And there's this whole section that is locked off if you don't have that Amiibo, which is... Uh, so yeah. in, in the game, normally, there is a dungeon. You can create your own dungeons, but you're very limited to the dungeons themselves. But with that Amiibo, it expands like how many more rooms you can make, what items can be put in there. And I'm like, everybody bought the game for the same price. You say you should have to go buy this, this $15 figurine just to, you know, expand upon something that's already in the game. That's, that's locked behind a toy. No, I agree. I agree with that. I, I think, yeah. I think, I think that's a hundred percent true. And I think you're onto something there for sure. So to close today's episode, I've got one final hot take and, I think this is one that maybe, considering what we've talked about, this one might seem a little out of left field, but I have context behind it to you know to help hopefully help my argument. So I'm just going to come out and say it. I think that modern speed running um, is trash. I think modern speed running has really devolved into circumventing and playing as little of the game as possible instead of trying to beat a game as quickly as possible. And I do think there's a difference. I'll give you an example. I got bored one day this past weekend, and I was just on YouTube, and randomly in my feed, the Outlast world record speedrun popped up. Um, do either of you know what the Outlast world record speedrun is? Uh, faster no than when my last relationship ended. It is definitely faster than that. Kyle, do you know how fast it is? <laughs> Two minutes? Uh, it is 23 minutes long. Whoa. Wow. Outlast is a six or seven hour game, and they beat it in 23 minutes. Now, here in my head, I'm going, wow, they must have figured out the best pathing. They figured, they've got everything marked down to a science, and that's great. And then I watched it, and I realized it was using glitches to literally just bypass hours of gameplay. Dang. And for me... <sighs> I don't find that impressive, and maybe maybe I'm old school like that, okay? At, at 25 years old, maybe I'm old school like that because I believe that speedrunning should be beating the game as quickly as possible. When I think speedrunning, I think beating Dark Souls 3 while beating the mandatory bosses because when you don't fight enemies, when you don't fight normal enemies, and you don't fight optional bosses, you're going to be at a lower level when you have to fight tougher bosses later on. That's impressive, it's not impressive when you just use a glitch that I know takes time and takes precision to figure out where you need to stand, what way you need to look, and how you need to move to actually initiate it. It's just not impressive to me, though. And so I'll give you another example. I think Kyle, actually, I think I showed you this video uh, last year when we were in lockdown. God, that feels like forever ago. Um, <laughs> there was the Doom Eternal speed run that the developers reacted to. And there's a part in the very first level where you're looking out over the, kind of this cliff and you have to wait for like some pat, some, um, I think it was some platforms to pop up so you could, you know, do some platforming to get across. Well, this guy uses a glitch and slingshots himself literally to the end of the level. Wow. And the developers were literally like, okay, look, if you guys are going to do this, can we at least play the game the right way? Can you guys upload you guys beating the game the way it's meant to be played very quickly? Because that would be impressive. Doom Eternal is not an easy game. But when modern day speedrunning becomes circumventing most of the game instead of actually playing the game, that's where I think modern day speedrunning has kind of lost something and I don't I don't think it's really all that all that, you know, impressive. So, that's how I feel about that. <laughs> For sure. Look at look at the early Mario games, dude. Like it, people who people who beat those games really fast were impressive because, yeah, you know, sure there were secrets here and there that you could do to skip, you know, maybe a couple of levels or maybe some enemies or you know this or that. But for the most part, you had to play a majority of the a majority of the game itself. You know, there's there's a handful of levels you can entirely skip legitimately through you know secret areas. But aside from that, you can't do I, – I agree. I hate that so much that somebody thinks that, you know, oh, because I, you know, I jumped backwards three times, I lit a bomb, and it blew me into this invisible wall. Now I beat the game. Boom, I speed ran that game in five minutes. No, you didn't speed run. You glitched the game, and you beat it. 
but you didn't actually beat it because you didn't do anything in the game. It's not impressive to me either. I don't, I don't enjoy when I'm going to watch you know somebody speed run and it's literally just them breaking the game, glitching the game. You know, it doesn't whether the game whether the game has a, a glitch in there or not. I don't feel as that is le- a legitimate speed run. It, it just doesn't resonate with me at all. Matt, what about you? So, um, yeah, actually, Kyle did bring up Mario. I think that when you're breaking the game itself to, you know, score a, a new record in a speed run, I think that's horrible. I, I can't stand it. Like, you're literally breaking this developer's game, and you're, you're you're missing out on everything. Like, you know, they put in this game, all the hard work that they put in this game, because, hey, I figured out how to break it and glitch through stuff. Then you have, you know, Kyle mentioned Mario, the original um in world one two if you take this platform and you ride it all the way up and you know you run across the very top of the screen and you end up coming into this little room where it has three warp pipes i think that's perfectly fine because that was purposely put in there by nintendo and that's like an in-game secret and i remember when you know back in the early 90s when it was discovered it was like the biggest thing talked about and everybody was doing it but you know, you got three options to choose from on those warp pipes. You can take one to say World One Three, World One Five, World One, you know, I think seven. And I think if it's intentionally put in there, then it's okay. But if you're breaking the game, if you're if you're finding a way to hack the game, glitch the game, you know, cause causing issues just just to say, hey, I have the speed run, then no, I absolutely do not agree with that. Um, but you, yeah, you make a great point, and I can't imagine being those developers at Doom and just watching this guy break our game just so he can say I beat the game the quickest um, out of all the speedrunners. And it's very impressive when people are speedrunning the Souls games and they basically go in there with almost like no armor. Like I like it when people set a challenge for themselves on their speedruns. Like uh, they'll only wear a specific thing. They'll practically go naked because I remember watching this guy get all the way to the end. Um, not wearing any gear he had like a single ring on i believe and watching it get to the end I, I was impressed by that he didn't break the game he played the game as the developers intended he still fought the bosses and everything like that and he ended up having i think one of the top records which that's impressive to me but breaking the game no that's a no-no well just know everybody that's listening to this there will never be a worse hot take and you can clip this moment in history than anybody that says that logan paul has a chance against floyd mayweather in june but that'll be it for this episode of side mission be sure to check us out on twitter at side mission pod and check us out on youtube at side mission podcast for the boys kyle lynch matt beck i'm rusty ellis thanks for listening y'all You've been listening to the Side Mission Podcast. Keep up with new episodes and download your favorites in the Hints and Oakley Podcast Center.